Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is the Reasonable Voice, Marcello Rolando, and this is the Reasonable Voices talk radio news program. My guest today is John J. Whalen, the director of Stink, the movie, which is now streaming, by the way, on Netflix, and I highly recommend it. Stink, the movie, is the story of a single father that could very well be the story of, for everyone listening to this program, because the latest statistics warn that one in two Americans will get some form of cancer, in part because... Perhaps in America, there are cancer-causing chemicals almost everywhere we live and breathe, as close as under the kitchen sink or our bathroom countertops and even in our flame-retardant furniture and pajamas. Our Reasonable Voice guest today, as I said, is the director and writer of Stink the Movie, John J. Whalen, who is, by the way, by example, living a life that leaves things better than he and his wife Heather found them. Welcome, John, to The Reasonable Voice, and how are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure. First, John, you know, let's level the playing field for all our listeners. Aren't there several government agencies responsible for protecting the health of American citizens, like uh, the FDA, EPA, HHS, NIH, NCI, not the least of which, of course, is the CDC, everyone's heard of that, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, especially through its 11 different cancer prevention programs. So, John, my first question is, what's the life-threatening deal with products in America? Well, the agencies that you mentioned, they do regulate uh, a lot of different product categories, but I would say in title only. Kind of at the base level, look at it as like wholesale research. Retail. Uh, the, the EPA regulates the chemicals that go into our products. Mm-hmm. Now, there are, there are over 80,000 chemicals in commerce, and the EPA has probably tested a few hundred of them for safety. So those 80,000 chemicals go into products. Now, once they're in a product, then they're regulated by the FDA. Now, think, when you're not making a health claim, we're not talking about pharmaceuticals, which have 
rigorous testing. Mm -hmm. We're talking about things where a health claim is not made, personal care products. The companies are on the honor system. The FDA doesn't vet those products for safety. And companies can basically use whatever chemicals they want. And our system, even compared to Europe, is very different. Europe has a different approach. And if they suspect a chemical is harmful, they ask a manufacturer to remove it. Where in America, chemicals are innocent until proven guilty, mm. yet proving guilt is virtually impossible. So to, to quantify that, in, in Europe, there's probably 1,200 chemicals you're not allowed to use in personal care products. And in the United States, there's about a dozen. Mm. Well, I guess then we, we haven't learned much from the recent Johnson & Johnson baby powder scandal. Can you tell us... Uh, I don't know about how and why we should respond to Stink the movie and certainly respond better, perhaps. I, I don't know if I'm hearing you say this or not, but perhaps better than we did with Johnson & Johnson baby powder. It kind of just disappeared after a while. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's it's good to unpack the Johnson & Johnson baby powder story because I think it's a microcosm of a larger issue. And just to sort of drill down there, so in the early 1970s, Johnson & Johnson became aware that its talc uh, and its baby powder was contaminated with asbestos. Mm. Now, asbestos is interesting because I'm not, they, not sure what they knew at the time, but asbestos is unique and it has its own signature cancer. The only way you can get mesothelioma is through asbestos exposure. And so Johnson & Johnson, according to the reporting, knowingly was aware they, they continued to use this talc that was contaminated with asbestos mm -hmm. in the baby powder. Mm -hmm. Apparently the FDA knew, the Trade Association for Johnson & Johnson knew, everyone knew, except American consumers. Wow. And so, you know, that example is just an idea where my whole thing is about disclosure. I mean, a lot of people want every chemical banned, and, and I'm not sure that's the right approach. I, I think, like, I, I'm a, a capitalist. You know, and, mm. and Adam Smith would tell you that, you know, in order to have a functioning marketplace, buyer and seller need to have access to the same information. So I just think you should disclose everything. Mm -hmm. And if 40 years ago, Johnson & Johnson was required to disclose asbestos on the product label, well, they probably wouldn't have sold it. They probably would have remediated the product or taken it off the market. And so the problem, if we had disclosure, then then sellers would make better choices about the chemicals they sold mm. and buyers would be able to make better choices about what they bought. But we don't have that. And that problem, that still exists today. You know, we look and we see these iconic brands, you know, America's most trusted brand. And I think people confuse reputation with trust. In yes. other words, they see this iconic brand that's been there for 50 years, and we can't look through the pretty packaging and see the ugly chemicals behind it. And so we trust these companies that we shouldn't. And if Johnson & Johnson, America's most trusted brand, isn't a wake-up call for a company that sold for 40 years a product they knew was tainted with a deadly carcinogen intended for babies. I don't know what else is going to get people, you know, and just outraged. Exactly. Wow. I um, I, I, I know I'm, I'm, well, I was around when the whole Johnson & Johnson scandal broke, so I, I know of what you speak. It's just that when I hear you lay it out like that and of course end the way you did and they they knew it was for children and they sold it to us anyway you know i often say to to consumers 
in this day and age with Google search and everybody else at the tip of your mouse click, you know, there is little excuse for us not to keep ourselves informed. However, you in today and in the, your movie, Stink the Movie, make the point that what we're really needing to know is not on the label or it's disguised or and it's claimed to be trade secrets. What what do you and what do we do if it's not on the label? Now, in the movie, you make it very clear what you do. What can we do and what? how's your battle going with finding out your battle, I guess, against having trade secrets? Yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing. I mean, you know, caveat emptor, buyer beware. Mm. It's hard to avoid something if it's not on a product label. And I think that, you know, people are starting to wake up. And unlike trying to regulate chemicals, you know, again, it's difficult with the system in America, and this is by design, mm -hmm. to ban a chemical because the burden of proof is so hard to satisfy that the government wasn't really able to uphold the ban on asbestos. So they basically gave up. And so it's kind of an imperfect storm. Mm -hmm. And I think the solution, uh, sort of step one of the solution is disclosure. If you had to disclose these chemicals, then certain people would avoid them. Yes. I mean, there's a difference between a victim and a volunteer. You know, well, you also have a history of selling, you know, products that are lethal and legal. I look at tobacco. Yes. But the, the caveat is that people know it's bad. You know, people, whether it's lead in your lipstick or formaldehyde in your, you know, laundry detergent, it could be a little bit of a amounts, but it all adds up. Mm -hmm. And you know, when you and you look at the amount of chemicals the average person, average woman is exposed to on a daily basis, it's a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I think one important thing to point out because you know, at one extreme we have chemical lobbyists that don't even want carcinogens restricted. Mm -hmm. You know, and at the other extreme we have people who are spouting off things like they're you know they they only buy chemical free products. Uh, that's not possible. Everything mm -hmm. has chemicals. It's not about chemicals being bad. Mm -hmm. You know, most chemicals are in fact safe, but the one to two percent, and that could let's say there's 1,500 chemicals that are the the worst actors. Those are the ones we should be moving on first. And again, if companies had to disclose the worst of the worst on product labels, they'd do something about it. But companies are really resistant to reformulating their products because it's expensive. But you know, it's just it's just absolutely insane. I've actually, I'll give you an example, and I'll, I'll use their name because it's in sync. It's in the documentary. Mm -hmm. I called Tide and asked them if 1,4-Dioxane is in the product, and initially they'll tell you no. No, 1,4-Dioxane is, is carcinogenic. Yes. Uh, if you share your lab results with them and say that we found this in your product, they say, well, it's in there, but we didn't intentionally add it. Oh, yes. Um, and then she, she tried to make me feel better by assuring me that don't worry because everything causes cancer nowadays. Not really what you want to hear from, from you know, again, from uh, Procter & Gamble. Yes. But, again, like, I think that this whole baby powder thing, it's it's gone very mainstream. Mm. And it, it's just, I think it becomes such a relatable issue. And at the end of the day, think about it. It would be hard for even a chemical lobbyist to enter a, a hearing and say that we think it's in the public interest to disclose carcinogens from baby products. Basically, that's the system we have right now. Yes. That's what they're able to do. Yes. And I wonder, I mean, I know, and, and I think you treat, what, not just fairly, but, uh, but optimistically, members of Congress who have tried at least to hold hearings and ask questions, but 
industry leaders give what I, and of course I've heard much of this in your movie, but I've experienced this many times. You get on the phone, you're calling a product. I'm still in the fight over one, so I won't mention its name. But And you ask a simple question, simple, straightforward question, as you do in Stink the Movie, and you get this, this response that really is an answer that isn't an answer. You know what I mean? I mean, I know you know what I mean, but give us some examples of that. And they say these things because, of course, these answers come from like political leaders and their talking points. These answers come from corporate leaders creating a marketing strategy with that. And here, here's your script. If you're asked this, answer this, this way. And you had, so give us some insight on that that we... Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I... I mean, the people who work in customer support, these companies, I'm sure they're good people. Like they're, yes. they're just doing the, they're, they're just doing their job. I don't think they're trying to mislead or deceive someone who calls. They, they have, like you said, they have a script. Mm-hmm. And if there's a list of ingredients on a product and you ask questions, I think that they'll give you a thoughtful answer based on what they're seeing. Mm-hmm. But be, because of this loophole, and again, not to go too much into the weeds, mm-hmm. companies don't have to disclose an ingredient if they can take the position that it wasn't intentionally added. In the case of Johnson & Johnson, they would say that asbestos wasn't intentionally added. It just so happened it was contaminating the talc. Mm-hmm. And in the same way that if you if you called, I guess this is an open secret, there's there's lead in women's lipstick. Yes. Um, women swallow about a pound of a year. So, but if you called the leading maker of lipstick and said, is there lead in your lipstick, they'll tell you no. If you, if, as I did, I, this didn't just made it to the cutting room floor. Mm. Uh, I said, well, you're telling me there's not lead in lipstick, but I sent it to a lab and there's lead in your lipstick. Mm-hmm. Then the story changed to, well, we didn't add it, you know, again. And then she said, well, if, if there is lead in our lipstick, then it's such, and then it's some of the lowest levels in the industry. You know, and it's just, again, it's, you have this Kafka-esque thing that just doesn't play if, if I mean, I think people have good judgment and common sense if you give them the information. Mm-hmm. And um, if there was a ballot initiative that said, you know, do you think that companies should have to disclose carcinogens in products? I, I think most people would vote for that. One. Exactly. You know, but, but we don't have that choice. We don't get we don't get to choose the chemicals we're exposed to. The chemical industry gets to choose for us. And it makes us the guinea pigs, as is mentioned in Stink the movie. We are the testing laboratory, and it doesn't seem as though, even though every time we use these products, we are indeed, are the, the, the little mice running around in the cages, but nobody's checking or correcting if they find out something's wrong, are they? No, it, it's like a death by a thousand cuts. Mm. If, if you look at the last 40 years and you look at the health outcomes that just seem to be a rise across the board, and people, they can't tell you specifically why, but the only thing the human body hasn't changed, our environment has changed. Mm. Our exposure to, you know, pollution and, and chemicals and products, that's what's changed. And so there, there, there is a connection. You wouldn't sell a shampoo that killed someone when they shampooed their hair. Mm. But if, it, it has, if you knew it had a chemical, which over the course of, say, a decade, it was going to lead to a health outcome, then at least give someone a choice to make a better decision yes. when they buy in the same way that if I smoke a cigarette today, I'm not going to die this afternoon. I'm not going to die next week. Mm-hmm. But it could put me at risk for health outcomes a decade from now. 
And so that's the thing. It's, it's hard for people to make those connections with these products because they just assume if it's on the shelf that it must be safe. And that's not true. And that's not true. Absolutely. Perhaps uh, one of the many major points that Stink the Movie makes, directed and narrated by our guest today, John J. Whalen, and that is that the chemicals in products, everyday products that we use, and we have more to discuss, are simply not tested, and they're not required to be. What we are talking about today is offensive and, and scary as it may be. It's all legal. Stay with us. We'll be right back with director and narrator of Stink the Movie, John J. Whalen. Stay with us. Welcome to the NFL Minute. Critics have chided the congressman. The first feature-length indie drama from former U.S. Representative Robert J. Morazic for failing to take Washington to task. What the film actually accomplishes, though, is a much greater achievement. In this day and age, could you ever imagine watching a film that makes you feel good about politics? As it turns out, this charming little film does just that. With the days of Mr. Smith Goes to Washington long over, the congressman captures a quieter zeal. Treat Williams delivers a nuanced performance as the titular politician, Charlie Winship, who returns to his native Maine after making a mockery of the Pledge of Allegiance. Charlie must prove his mettle with the fishermen and townspeople, all while rediscovering his love for his home state. Comedy relief comes in the form of his uptight aide, Jarrett, who, among other things, proves to be laughably bad at lobster baiting. If you're looking for searing satire, you'll be disappointed here. Instead, the congressman follows another surprisingly classic story structure, that of the romantic comedy. Knowing that the pressure is off for a serious takedown of American politics, you can sit back and, like Charlie, dare we say it, fall in love again. The congressman, not in theaters, discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices talk radio program, my guest today is John J. Whalen, the director and narrator of Stink, S-T-I-N-K, the movie, which is streaming as we speak on Netflix, and I highly recommend it. We are talking about, well, caveat emptor, but it, it's a little difficult, as John has made the point, if labels on products that we buy and use in our everyday life, every day, don't have listed on the labels, the ingredients, all of the ingredients, then that failure of disclosure, which is John's major point in making this movie, give the consumer, give the citizenry the information we need to make sound judgments, especially as it pertains to our health and, of course, to the health of our children and the elderly, too. So I want to go to one of the things that is listed on most labels that we buy, and that is that famous word we've all seen, fragrance. I got to ask you, John, what's behind fragrance? That's a great question. So most reasonable people, if they look on a product label and see the word fragrance, it appears to be a singular ingredient. Mm. But it's actually really misleading. Fragrance is a FDA-defined term, and manufacturers use that word in lieu of disclosing the actual chemicals used to create artificial odors in products. Mm. And so that placeholder word is used instead of disclosing what could be hundreds of different chemicals. Now, because chemicals in general are unregulated, that means that 
fragrance is basically positive camouflage. Like, mm. who doesn't love a pleasant scent? Mm-hmm. But what they don't tell you is that the chemicals used to create that fragrance may consist of carcinogens, hormone disruptors, allergens, basically anything. And they don't have to disclose them on the label. And because they don't have to disclose them, their incentive is to use the cheapest chemistry possible to achieve that feature. Mm. And it's, it's interesting, too, like, Growing up in the 70s, it seemed like every room smelled like smoke. Mm. And as people stopped smoking, there was kind of this blank canvas in rooms that didn't have that odor. Mm. And so it seems like fragrance and, and artificial odors and scents has become a condiment in every product category. Mm. And we have obviously scented personal care products, laundry detergents, dish soaps, pajamas, bowling balls. Everything has artificial odor. Mm. And if you think about it, it's kind of ridiculous. Why would you spray your plate, your cleaning, with perfume? Mm. And one of the things that the industry and just really clever marketing and, and perception is that we've been sold this notion that clean and fresh are a thing, yeah. meaning that something smells clean and fresh. Well, to me, clean doesn't have a smell. The smell of clean is nothing. Yes. What is like a fresh scent? That doesn't mean anything. They're just hollow words. But people, that feature of fragrance is something that people look for. If you're buying shampoo, what's the first thing you do? You smell it. Mm. You know, the second most important feature of a shampoo is how it lathers your hair. Now, those two things, fragrance and lathering your hair, have nothing to do with cleaning your hair. Yet they're the two most important things. So I think that we tend to look at product features and we turn a blind eye to how those features are achieved. And, and kind of not going off the rails here, but I think fragrance is misleading and we were talking earlier, like flame retardants. That's another thing. Mm. Like, what parent wouldn't want if they see on a label that a you know pajamas flame resistant? Well, well that's good. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure if any parents want their kids to catch on fire. Mm-hmm. But what we know now is the chemicals used on these pajamas that make it flame resistant are carcinogenic. And some materials are inherently flame resistant. But if you ask a company, is you know, I saw that your pajama label says that it's flame resistant mm-hmm. are, are is the material in that product inherently flame resistant are using chemicals that we now know cause cancer to achieve that feature and they won't give you that answer mm-hmm. and it's again it's just that we're we're blinded by these product features and really don't question whether it's non-stick pans like non-stick convenience ease of use well now we know that that chemical in non-stick causes cancer and the industry has known that for decades and it just seemed like we've seen this movie time after time mm. where, you know, 40 years later, we find out that these things cause cancer and nobody knew. And then you find out actually everyone knew except for the people who buy the product. Exactly. And, and that's why I'm, you know, saying that just disclose all of the chemistry because that's the only way that we're going to solve this problem. And, and the other thing, too, where I think things are changing is that retailers need to be more responsible. They can't pretend that they don't know and they're yeah. just box pushers. If companies have to disclose all of the chemicals, then application developers can create apps to take out a lot of this workforce, and retailers can do a better job of curating product. I mean, they know which product, which chemicals are bad, but if they're not on the label, they can't curate better products because they don't know, they're not able to do that work for us. And so that, that's why uh, chemical disclosure is just absolutely critical. Absolutely. Well, eh, and that's all we, it seems to me you're really asking is put it on the labels 
so we can know and then we can make the choice. As you, you use as an example, the cigarette packaging, you know, for years, decades, the tobacco industry resisted any kind of labeling. I wonder about, you know, companies using uh, toxic in ingredients that instead of sort of natural fragrances that, that exist, by the way, we do have natural fragrances. As you say, clean doesn't have a smell, but there are natural healthy fragrances in our environment. Why don't companies use those instead of, you know, toxic ingredients? So that's, that's a great question. Some companies are using those, and there's tremendous pricing pressure with these large companies, you know, Procter & Gamble, Unilever. If, let's just say, what we're talking about is kind of a boutique issue. I mean, most people aren't even aware of it. Mm. And so from a large, from a, a multi-billion dollar company's perspective, it would be hard for them to decide to solve a problem that most people are not even aware of yet. And let's say that, you know, Unilever and Procter Gamble, one of them did. Let's say they started using more healthful ingredients in their fragrance, and as a result, they had to raise their prices. They might not really get credit in the marketplace for that, and, and, and in fact, they might be panned in the marketplace. And look at it this way. I, I think, I'm not sure if most people realize it, but, you know, most chemicals in our consumer products, they're, they're just they're cheap petrochemicals, meaning they're derived from petrochemical feedstocks as opposed to botanicals, which you're saying with a natural fragrance. Mm -hmm. And companies, and, and I understand this, I'm a business person, I went to business school. You know, you want to be able to know what your costs are moving forward. You don't want to be dependent on an orange that comes from Madagascar that blossoms, you know, two months a year, because what if there's a typhoon, mm -hmm. you know, and, and the price goes up 1,400%. You can't raise your price that way. And so I understand why they want to use these cheap petrochemicals because they can control their cost. But when those chemicals are leading to negative health outcomes, I just think that they, they have to be more responsible. But again, it, it's also awareness because as long as people keep buying these products, they're going to keep selling. Exactly. And again, awareness, disclosure, giving the public the information. We come back to that, to the necessity of that. Is there a Cosmetic Safety Act somewhere in the halls of Congress? And what's what's going on with that? Where, can you give us some idea of where that is? I know you and I both agree, and I think everyone listening would agree, this is not a political issue. This is a health issue. This is a, a right-to-know issue. You know, but Congress is does have a role to play. So is there such a thing as a Cosmetic Safety Act? Great question. Uh, so in 2019, there's going to be a couple of different bills that are supposed to regulate the cosmetics industry. You know, I, I agree. This should not be political. Unfortunately, it always seems to, to go that way. Mm. Because any bill like cosmetics safely is a bit of a dog whistle because it, it comes across as anti-business. Yes. And, and, and so that, which is unfortunate mm -hmm. because you shouldn't be painted as being anti-business for simply being pro-transparency. Mm. And that, that's where things get a little convoluted. And again, like what I'm advocating in terms of the safe cosmetics bills, what they're doing is, is putting the FDA in a position where they would have to vet more of these chemicals. Because there's so many of them, we're so backlogged, that's going to be difficult. And, and that's why I think that, you know, before going through that and, and getting bogged down in the process and, and the way the trade associations can work to make sure 
the safe cosmetic love never see the light of day. I think that transparency is a prerequisite because, you know, sadly, if companies had to disclose a lot of these chemicals, would they be ashamed? Yes. And so they would make sure that they figure out a way. If, if you want to ban a chemical, even if it's a bad one, you have to, you have to, the, the burden is on the person freaking forward to find a substitute. Mm. So I would argue, so you're telling me this company is using a cancer causing chemical and it, uh, it's my job to find them a safe one? Well, they shouldn't have been using that in the first place. Mm-hmm. But, but that's why the system is completely dysfunctional. And, and, and again, I think like reasonable people, like I have friends on both sides of the aisle, like this is kind of an issue that we, everyone agrees on. These companies should not be able to sell its products that have dangerous chemicals and, and not have to disclose it. Mm-hmm. The, other, the other thing that, again, it's like this being a boutique issue, people don't really know. There's a whole class of chemicals called hormone disruptors or endocrine disruptors. Oh, yes. That in Europe, it's, it's become more of a thing. If there's a, a greater understanding and do more about it, I would say in the United States, just awareness of that class of chemicals is very low. And, you know, that's another thing that needs to be addressed. And, and the weird thing with these uh, endocrine disruptors is that unlike a carcinogen, where you know a large dose of a carcinogen could could hurt you today, mm. with with endocrine disruptors, it's a little different. You have a little bit exposure, or over a long period of time, is actually could be worse than a large exposure at once. Mm. So the sort of they call the 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 dose response curve is actually inverted, and, and so again, they don't have to disclose all those chemicals. The argument they would make with carcinogens, well, it's only a little bit of a carcinogen. Mm. Well, a little bit of an endocrine disruptor, that's that's not very helpful. So, you know, it's not just the carcinogens. It's also these, like, endocrine disruptors that, you know, that this will be, unfortunately, front-page news in 20 years. Mm. So that's why we need to kind of act today, because it's too late. Yes. John, are we any closer to a cigarette tobacco-like solution than we were before you started calling for simple answers, common sense questions to some of these companies. Are we, I mean, I, I know uh, Stink is, is making a, a great impact, but as you say, the first step is to get the information and we still need that from companies on the labels of their products. Are we, are we closer to a solution or what is the solution as you see it? I mean, honestly, if you asked me two weeks ago and I have a different response, but given last week what just happened with, with Johnson & Johnson and with Baby Potter, I'm feeling a lot more confident mm. that companies are going to be more proactive. Because if I, was a, if I was a director on a public company, and even if I had directors and officers insurance, and it's been brought to my attention in a post-Johnson & Johnson world, they were also selling products with undisclosed carcinogens. Mm. I'd be pretty nervous. Yes. I'd be really nervous. And so, you know, they could they could claim like they didn't know. But I don't know. I, I, I think that these companies are seeing the writing on the wall. And I also think that, you know, that the retailers are, are getting a little smarter about being proactive as well. So I, uh, I, I'm actually optimistic in 2019 that we might see things happening. And I think it's going to be, you know, a company like Unilever is going to surprise everyone and say, well, we're going to disclose everything. You know, the thing is, Walmart or Amazon, they could solve this problem tomorrow. They could put out a memo to all of their suppliers and say, hey, guys, you have 18 months. You have to disclose everything. And you know what? Here's the 1,200 chemicals you're not even allowed to use. Good mm. luck. That would solve the problem. Exactly. But, you know, again, it, it just 
it often's annual awareness. They're not going to solve that problem until more people are aware of the problem. And I think every day, more people, and it's becoming more mainstream. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's the best part about it. This is not anti-business. This, once more people know, there's going to be this renaissance in green chemistry. There's going to be an opportunity to build a better version of every product with greener chemistry that's more sustainable. Mm. And that innovation is either going to come from within these companies or entrepreneurs are going to see opportunities. You know, hey, Mr. Yeah. Conventional Product, you want to leave the carcinogens in there? Great. We're going to go to our lab and we're going to create a better, more sustainable version of your product and we're going to eat your market share. Mm. Because consumers, when you tell them, yeah, don't worry, there's only a little bit of carcinogen in the product, they're just, they're not having it. You know, so I, I think I, I do think that from a business standpoint, it's not about killing jobs. This is about creating jobs through mm-hmm. awareness and protecting life and health. Uh, Absolutely, it's like a, it's a triple win. Exactly, everybody wins when we give the people the information. At the very least, then the people have the choice, and they have to live with their choices. But at least you give them that information so that they can make uh, sound decisions for life and limb and family and and future generations. John, this has been an amazing conversation. I'm sorry we didn't get, I wanted to ask, but there's such a high note on which to end, but the precautionary principle, I noticed that was thrown around a lot as a game, sort of a little buzz phrase to me that was being used, again, as a blanket, almost like fragrance. Uh, Give us a quick point on that, if if you don't mind. What? Sure. Yeah. So it's it's basically a philosophy in Europe that if if we suspect a chemical is dangerous, well, as a precaution, we're gonna t- we're gonna restrict it or take it off the market. Now that's just a fancy way of saying common sense. Mm. The difference is in the United States, chemicals are innocent until proven guilty, and proving guilt is virtually impossible. That's why nothing gets banned. Mm. Now the chemical industry, the you know, you say precautionary principle. <laughs> It's just people, it's just, they, they're hysterical yes. because because it allows wiggle room to sort of, you know, do something about a problem before there's 100% certainty. It, and it's kind of like this a little ridiculous. Imagine if, if you thought someone's breaking your house and you called 911 and you said, you know, someone's breaking my house and they said, are, are they going to kill you? Well, I, I don't know. They're breaking <laughs> my house. Have you seen the gun? I, I'm not sure. Yeah, I saw the gun. Is it loaded? I'm not sure. Is there intent to kill? Mm. You know, well... After they kill you, call us back and we'll send someone over. Yes. You know, it's kind of ridiculous, but it is whether it's climate change, we're 99% sure on climate, so let's wait till we're 100% certain. Mm. Well, it's too late. Mm. And that's why we need to start disclosing today to sort of put negative health co- outcomes for the future. You know, it's just, it's beyond frustrating that, that we can't get that done, even in a in dysfunctional Washington, that we can't just agree to disclose these chemicals so that consumers can make better choices for their families. Exactly. And on that note, we're going to have to say goodbye to John J. Whalen, the director and narrator of Stink the Movie, which is streaming on Netflix as we speak. I highly recommend it to everyone. John, if people don't have Netflix streaming, is there are there other platforms in which they can see your movie? I know you can go online and at least see the trailer. That would whet anyone's appetite. How else can we... Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's on uh, Netflix in a lot of countries, and the company, if it's not on Netflix, then it's on Vimeo, Vimeo.com. Okay, and where uh, can we find out more about you and, and uh, what you can, are continuing to do, and 
maybe be of some support in your in this this battle for our health and our information. I'm pretty active on Twitter. My handle is at NetReturn, and and also on Instagram at StinkMovie, and Facebook at StinkMovie. So we we try to post a lot of information there, just on kind of what's going on to the people who saw the documentary and, and kind of want to keep tabs on what's happening and also, you know, how they can kind of pitch in and help. Because um, pe- people are outraged and people do want to help, and, and that's been great to see. And yeah. these are people that are not, you know, your typical NGO people. They're kind of aware of this. These are just normal, good Americans who become aware of this issue and, and you know, want, it, want to help. Excellent. Well, thanks to them, and thanks to you, and thanks to Stink the Movie. Our guest today, John J. Whalen, we wish you all the very best and all that you're doing, and the best to your two young daughters as they carry on your new mission in life, okay? Thank you. I appreciate it. Have a great day. You too. Bye now. Bye now. causing chemicals in your house. God, this thing stinks. You just don't know where. Neighbor calling justice. How may I help you? It was a simple question. I'm trying to find out what chemical they would put on the kids' pajamas. What's in the stuff we buy? This information is considered proprietary to the company. Gotcha. Everyone assumes they can turn the box around, see what's in it. One big loophole is fragrance. That can be hundreds of different chemicals. A lot of them are derived from petrochemical feedstocks. One of the major problems is that the identity of the chemical is secret. They don't want consumers to know the ingredients that are in Chanel Number no. 5 are some of the same ingredients that are used in their toilet bowl cleaner. If you map the increase of certain diseases against the increased exposure to toxic chemicals, there's a pretty good match. That would come, I think, as a shock to most people. These companies can make their products cheaply if they use more toxic ingredients. You're just dumping all this toxic stuff into your blister. But every big cause of cancer nowadays, you know what I mean? Most people think there is something like the FDA for the chemicals in consumer products, but that's not true, and that's by design. They're going to do whatever it takes to feed their bottom line. Government isn't really writing the rules. Congressman Lance, we're going to talk about the Cosmetic Safety Act. Uh, the Cosmetic Safety Act? Yes, it's the businesses. Are we going to get a permit to take all the toxic chemicals out of kids' products? We, we don't really believe we have it. It's the lobbyists that write these rules. Why shouldn't we shift to a standard that says you have to prove that it's safe? We think our system is actually better. Industry fights because it doesn't want to pay for harm. This is the story of a single father. What is it you rather have some Against the trillion dollar chemical industry. I take offense when anyone would even insinuate our industry is supporting an increase in the body burden of chemicals. Where do you think we're headed? What do you think some of the main benefits for consumers of undisclosed carcinogens and endocrine disrupting chemicals? Well, it's not, you know, the issue is complex. It's just a hypocrisy machine. It's my story. But it could be yours. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Wrestling dreads, context, and walls from evil's grip before 2020.
Until we stop fixating on how unprecedented our unpresidential president is, we're more problem than solution. For example, approximately 14,600 unaccompanied migrant children in American custody, at least two dying while in Department of Homeland Security and ICE captivity. Product dangers hidden in plain sight on product labels. Leadership abandoned to depravity even before UN ambassador and interior departures. And four acting cabinet members performing for a Trump deprived of all but directorial talent for apathy, bankruptcy, and treason. 1968 was a year of assassinations that ended with an out-of-this-world perspective of our humanity. Just as we lost confidence in our individual dreams of national competence, NASA's scientists, engineers, and three Apollo 8 astronauts proved America could still reach for the stars. In 2018, arguably the year two-thirds of Americans supersizing their minds and hearts, now somewhat successfully wading through institutional and personal deficits, heroically attempting to wrench old glory from the grip of an inglorious administration, elected in midterms to unfurl Americans in the greater glory of civic responsibility restoration for discounted differences, scorned religions, rejected LGBT. LGBTQ community, relentless gender inequality, and denial of climate challenges, rising above self-serving talking points, setting us free from political quicksands. However, 2018 remains our reignited struggle to reemerge into reasonable common sense, committed to a national referendum to cease and desist permission for anyone, any movement, or any political party eager to redact American democracy by appeasing the worst in us. We the people persisted, liberally cleansing our representative house of ill repute with diversities, many colors, creeds, and preferences. Yes, 2018 flip-flopped 1968 from conquering the universe to choking on a swamp thing's shutdown wall waged with delusions corralling closed minds to wall-in wage earners surviving paycheck to paycheck. Historically, older men have tripped America with twisted pontifications and tricky prevarications, but perhaps the writing on Trump's wall of disinformation will finally demand self-realization from media Republican talking heads smirking at current GOP Congress while hiding their opportunistic mockery of Donald Trump. The trickle-down from Nixon to Bush-Cheney is the lineage they share with conservatism's consistently espousing since Fred Koch and Prescott Bush, and now championed by referee bigotry and Chris Christie electoral faux analysis, because Trump chaos is not what Americans voted for in November 2016, but what Putin's Russians and Americans believing in tea-stained Facebook ads elected. In this holiday season, let us follow fewer Republican fruitcakes, like bad actor William Shatner's Context versus Me Too, and beam up away from the foundations beneath the wings of hate, harassment, and sexism. 
for not even SJW can transport us back to change the era that allowed the author of our Declaration of Independence to sell human beings. But by Lincoln's example, we can be ever vigilant, remembering the Ku Klux Klan lynched Michael Donald in Mobile, Alabama in 1981, and that in 2017, a president of the United States of America referred to a murderous, violent, alt-right invasion of Jefferson's Charlottesville as good people on both sides. While healing after hate crimes, like murder, rape, and misogyny, may escape a Supreme Court confirmation charade, reclamation isn't inaugurated by pleas favoring context, but by demanding content of character, and refusing to repeat any past inhumanity as our best defense against the offense of what is past is prologue. In 2019, may we herald our better angels, both visible and indivisible, patriots like Brett McKirk and Generals Mattis and Kelly, President John F. Kennedy and Al Gore, Penny Marshall and Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, resolute in this truth, the legacy of Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell, and the Republican control of all three branches of our national government is one-third of Americans would still vote for Trump-Pence. So let us counter with our gifts and talents. Writing, perhaps, like the Pentagon Bureau Chief for Military Times, Tara Kopp, and Maya Angelou. Running for office, like Abigail Spanberger, 29-year-old Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and bucking Chicago's Democratic machine, 19-year-old David Krupa. Shall we allow our 2019 journey to 2020 to be a new awakening that is big enough to admit to ourselves America's greatest mistakes were made when Americans yielded to programmed fear, mob rule, anger, and lust for power over others, instead of investing in preserving love through music and dance, protecting all children with the drama of reason, and defending peace on earth peacefully? Thank you. And join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Mm-hmm.